Today's show is brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at BoardWalkAudio.com slash BarkBox. But what is BarkBox? Well, for humans, BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. For dogs, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. How it works? Well, for humans, you choose your dog's size. Tell them how big your dog's bark is. Small and cute, 0 to 20 pounds, just right. 20 to 50 pounds are big and bold, 50 plus pounds. For dogs, find the bacon. For humans, choose a plan. One, six, or 12-month plans are available. Cancel anytime, and you get free shipping. For dogs, turn on the stove. For humans, bark boxes are shipped on the 15th of each month. Get excited. For dogs, put the bacon in a pan on medium heat. For humans, every month, BarkBox paw picks the best all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. For dogs, grab a loaf of bread. For humans, all edibles are made in the USA or Canada, and 100% of our products are tested on animals, our own. For dogs, go to the fridge. For humans, BarkBox is a great way to try a variety of treats and toys from local and small businesses that you may not otherwise be able to find. For dogs... Gently take out the lettuce and tomato. For humans, each monthly box is themed. Country Fair, Bark Ball, Pooh York City, Brooklyn Hipster, etc. For dogs, slice away at the lettuce and tomato, but be careful with your paws. For humans, new and unique toys continue to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. For dogs, take the bacon off and put it on a slice of bread. For humans, Scout's Honor. If your dog doesn't like something in the box, we'll send you something they'll love for free. Because we're all about dog happiness. For dogs, place the lettuce and tomato on top of the bacon and bread. For humans, free shipping on any bark box within the continental U.S. For dogs, congratulations, you have an open face BLT. For humans, when your dog falls in, in rub with something from the box, you can easily find it again on BarkShop.com, our app, or by texting us. For dogs, take the open face BLT. And throw it in the trash because you have a bark box. So, for a free extra month of bark box, go to boardwalkaudio.com slash bark box. That's boardwalkaudio.com slash bark box. This is a boardwalk audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardlockaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the Support Our Artist button and shop on Amazon like in Earlywood, and we get a little kickback. This week's guest is Anna Dresden. She's really funny. She's written for online sites like Reductress and Cracked. She's a great stand-up, and she's currently a writer on the show known only as Saturday Night Live. I haven't watched the Millennium episode, but I've heard good things. My friend texted me. He said, hey, buddy, De Niro and Stiller are on the show. And I was like, well, that's enough for me. You know, I love I love those guys. Um, but yeah, Anna Dresden, she's great. Check out past episodes with Beth Newell from Reductress or Streeter Seidel, Gary Richardson, Nick Rutherford, and Allison Rich from SNL. So here is Anna Dresden. Uh, Anna, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from Massapequa, Long Island, New York. Nice. How, yeah. how, how was that growing up there? It was white. Yeah? Yeah. yeah makes sense. <laughs> uh. So, <laughs> yeah. No, it was like fine. Um, I did theater and things and it was fine. 
Uh, when did you, uh, did you like comedy like at a young age? I liked laughing a lot and I liked um, doing bits and stuff. I watched Comedy Central. I think that came out when I was like a, a child of watching age. Uh, yeah. A child who can decide what they watch on TV, however old that is. Um, yeah, I liked Whose Line Is It Anyway a lot as a small child. Oh, yeah. So that that really that got the the ball rolling. I wonder what that show's like now because it's back. It's back now. I is think. it? Or maybe it's gone again. I don't. I can never tell. It really yeah. is like the tides. It <laughs> it waxes and wanes. <laughs> um. Did you do, like, any, like, performance stuff, like, growing up? Yeah, I did um, ballet and gymnastics Whoa. and drama club and, uh, I did all things that were, like, look at me doing this by myself, <laughs> like, swimming and karate and ballet and, uh, yeah, I played the saxophone. Whoa. I was a very look at me child. That's a lot of different things. It's, yeah. I needed, uh, like, a... a I like um, a specific setup where it's appropriate to have people look at you. Like I needed to engineer <laughs> being social. And the only place I could do that was like doing karate or like, uh, cause it didn't feel like I didn't feel comfortable talking to people in real life. So <laughs> it's like, I guess I'll just do a kata while these adults tell me how I did. <laughs> That is so weird how just uh, we're all just encouraged to just like as kids just to like do whatever. And... Yeah, it should be stopped. I don't think <laughs> children should be allowed to dream. I really, I was thinking about that today. I was like, I don't. I think it's irresponsible to tell kids that your university has a theater program. <laughs> like that's so disgusting. <laughs> be like, well, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, we gotta uh, hold your breath and make something turn into a bird program and it could happen you know but well, yeah. it probably won't yeah that's the thing i mean that's the thing with like education now is like college specifically hey. it's crazy yeah i wouldn't tell someone i don't know i don't know yeah we usually wouldn't tell someone to like go to like acting school or, yeah, or writing but school i don't want to be that person who's like don't dream you know i mean yeah. i think it's i mean personally i think it's fair i mean we've, we talked before the show yeah uh you went to nyu i did i'm an nyu grad student you are we've, we've given a lot of money to that university we have which you know it's such a good it's such a good organization so i feel good about my dollars mm-hmm. going there you know yeah but at the same time it is like you know my, my parents paid for it. If they couldn't afford it, it would be insane to go in debt for what I'm getting. Yeah, I, I had student loans that I just paid off last month uh, that I effectively was only paying for like one or two semesters of school because my parents paid the rest. And like, that's wow, yeah. shitty and bad. That's insane. Yeah. That should never happen. Um, but that's how wealth works in this country. Yeah, fortunately. <laughs> yeah. It's inherited <laughs> if you're white. Yep. Yeah. Wow. wow. Hard hitting racial commentary for me. Uh, on the comedy writing podcast. Everyone wants it. <laughs> um, so uh, you did ballet. That's like, that's, I don't know. I, it was like, it was a very low key. The studio was built on the back of this wonderful grandmother's house and she like played records and we did it like was very low right. impact. It wasn't Black Swan at all. <laughs> 
So were you doing like any like writing stuff or was it all just kind of like performance things? I was big into writing. I got a lot of um, praise from teachers, like any creative writing projects were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was good at it. But it's something I've always sort of avoided doing. Like I remember because I went to school for acting, which I still vaguely do. Um, and like uh, I remember thinking, wait, should I be a writer? And then being horrified at the thought. So I was like, no, I can't. I can't go do something that isn't acting. I'm going to be an actor. But like that's for the children of producers and like people who start as babies. Like, no. <laughs> or like people who start when they retire and are like June right. Squibbs. Um <laughs> That's the only people who should act. <laughs> um, so you went to college at NYU? Yes. And you were in the drama? Or you, yes. How, how was that? It was good. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was, um, I made a lot of really good friends. I went to Playwrights Horizons Theater School, which teaches you directing and design and stage management and producing and oh, dance. Cool. And they, yeah, your first year you learn a wide variety of things and then you specialize after so I did acting and like creating original work was the program track which is a very NYU theater name for a major essentially (laughs) um so yeah I did that and I was doing improv at school at the NYU improv group and then was taking UCB classes at the same time uh, how, how did you discover UCB? Literally, I found a there was a flyer in the lobby of uh, Ruben. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, someone put flyers. It was like brochures in the front in a brochure area. And I was like, okay. UCB? Yeah, it was yeah. like the marble notebook brochure. And I was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, they, st- they still do those, I think. Do they? Well, I... I it worked, you know? Yeah. They, they got me. I think I have one like somewhere in this room. From uh, from L.A., but I don't know where. Wow. That's yeah. actually cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very cool podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, so when, when you started taking classes, was it something you immediately liked? Yeah. I immediately liked it, and I feel like I kind of hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Um, like, made a real splash and, like, was moving through the program and was interning. And then I went and studied abroad for a semester and came back, and it felt like I totally lost my mojo and like oh interesting didn't know how to do improv or like it just wasn't working for some reason and like I was like trying out for teams and stuff but wasn't getting on I think with good reason like (laughs) I like had no idea who I was and was shy and also like 11 years old so (laughs) no one needs a child around you know (laughs) (laughs) that is weird being like a, a younger person um like in college doing that I can't imagine doing that yeah, it was terrible. Like, and I'm a shy person in general. And like, being a shy teen, because I was very green for a long time. Um, and uh, I was just thinking about how socially uncomfortable I was. <laughs> like, a, a UCB New Year's party, walking around, like saying hi to the two people I knew, who like I sort of liked. I guess I don't know. <laughs> it was like, oh, thank God. Uh, yeah, just being like, why can't I talk to these people? And it's like, that's varsity level interacting with other people. You don't, you haven't taken any prerequisites at all. <laughs> um, so when you were at NYU, were you doing any writing stuff in addition to that? It was like uh, creating, so you, it was like creating new theater works. Um, so it wasn't 
sitting down at a typewriter banging it out. It was more like kind of on its feet and improv based. And it was like writing it out, but it was mostly writing beats. Um, I took a screenwriting class when I was in London studying abroad. Um, so like I had a little bit of formal writing training mm-hmm. and then just like regular essay writing kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Do, do you like that pro like do you use that process of kind of on your feet writing? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I have such a tense relationship with writing. Like I really have to beat myself over the head to sit down and write and I will wait till the absolute last minute. Um, which is good at a live show. Uh, right, yeah, that works out. <laughs> it kind of, it's sort of like, well, you can't wait that long, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna happen at a certain time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I guess I sort of have a chaotic approach to working where it's kind of a little bit different each time, but yeah, I'll like beat it out and then kind of talk it out with people and mm-hmm. take notes, um, of like potential dialogue and like, like when I was writing, when I was working at Reductress, sometimes I would go in and write uh, just a list of like buzzwords that I would use in the article. Like if it was about like, I don't know, like, wow, woman finally dates her dog, which is not an article, but it would be something I would write. But like, <laughs> I'd make a list of like dating buzzwords, like spark and like, uh-huh. um, would they, will they or won't they, um, like words that anchor it in the topic or like the trope of it. And then I'd write other like dog things like man's best friend and, um, leash, like on a short leash. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I'll do that with sketches too, where I'll kind of have a little bank of, it's sort of like a crossword puzzle or not crossword. Was it word search where you have a list of words? Yeah, (laughs) I will do that. (laughs) That actually seems like a great approach to sketch and like that writing because it's like it gives you all the specifics you need to like later on just like subvert into comedy. Yeah, any sort of referency, short form comedy, I mm-hmm. think it's helpful. And do you um, when but going back when you like you say you struggle to like sit down and write? Yeah. How do you you know try to beat that? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I just wait until someone's real mad at me and then I'll write. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I guess I'm not giving myself as much credit, but also I, it's really hard. I don't, well, because I, I think it's like a perfectionist thing where in theory I'm like, it should be the perfect, most brilliant thing ever. But then in practice it's like, okay, well you have been off for three weeks and you've done almost nothing. So maybe like, <laughs> maybe write something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I'd rather something be perfect in theory than like, average in reality mm-hmm. <laughs> you know if that and, makes sense and and is it hard uh i was gonna see this later but when you're like you're writing for snl now mm-hmm. is it hard during those breaks to like get stuff done yeah 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 it's mostly like laundry dentist yeah. uh um take my dog to the vet uh see friend mm-hmm. do a grocery um live your like normal life when you don't have like a crazy yeah week. yeah which, like, a lot of people who work there um, in every department have normal lives and children and, like, paint their apartments if their apartments need painting and, like, organize other things outside of the show. And so it's possible. I'm just yeah. a very low-efficiency person, and I need a lot of laying around time. <laughs> I need a lot of it. 
I'm a delicate orchid. <laughs> Doesn't take much. <laughs> um, so after you graduated college, well, what did you do? You stuck around UCB? Um, I sort of, I was kind of like banging my head against the wall at UCB and was realizing like, uh, it's sort of clear that it's not going to work out here currently. Um, and also improv was sort of feeling like, what is this? I don't know if it's, if I'm not on house teams then I don't see this leading to a thing and like, it just wasn't feeling as fun. So I started doing stand up and auditioning more, um, and did some like short films and you know, the usual, like, Hey, you're young. We need a young in this. <laughs> like, uh, you have no standards. Get over here. We won't pay you. <laughs> um, I remember getting paid $300 for being the lead in a student film that had like six days of shooting. And I was like, this is, this is it, you know, like I'm not prepared for how successful I'm about to be. Um, but that's when I started doing open mics. Um, and that led to stand up, which is a good, a good, bad thing to do. What do you, what do you mean by that? Oh, you know, it's a lot of, uh, it's just a lot of grinding. It's a lot of not fun work. It doesn't feel fun to like go to three open mics a day. Um, and like, it just, the amount of hours, like there, you'd have to get there so early to put your name on a list. And then I had one where I'd put my name on the list because I had a audition at the comic strip that night and came back and someone had thrown my list out. Cause I was the one who had put it up and oh. they started their own. It was just like so cutthroat to pay $8 for a diet Coke to do five minutes of comedy. Um, it was like 10 hours investment. Um, and I'm so glad that I did it then. Um, I'm so glad I did it then because I don't know that I would do it now (laughs) that I started that process then. When you do an open mic or when you were doing open mics, what's like, what are you trying to like get out of it? I think I want, mostly for me, it was like, I need to feel busy. I need to feel like I'm doing something. And I think I would have, I also did a one person show and I think I would have been happier with like character type stuff but that was so much preparation and I like not having to prepare (laughs) so I am no you're good uh so it was like it's a thing that you can do a lot because there's a lot of stage time and there's you kind of have to do it multiple times a week if not a day to be at all good at it after three years of doing that all all the time so like because you're just going to be garbage for I think someone said seven years that you're garbage, and that's how long I've been doing it. So <laughs> she's been trash since 2008. Um, but or how long ago? I can't. I can't do math. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I think it was like practice stuff, show stuff off, try stuff out. But mostly, it was like I need to feel like I'm doing something. Right. Um, and everyone else is doing this. Like this is what they say to do. So I guess I'll also do it. It's so hard in comedy in general to, like, uh, feel like you're doing something, I think. Because it's, like, so often there's just so much downtime and there's, like, I don't know. It's, like, it's this thing that happens at night after work and stuff. It's just a weird weird thing. Yeah, it was, like, also because I graduated with a lot of very um, talented people who work very hard. So I had friends who were starting theater companies and... Uh, like moving to LA and going to London for grad school and acting and like, um, or like going to med school. Like it was 
feel like right after you graduate, there's this period of like four or five years where you're just working, you're just doing so much. Uh, and looking back, I'm like, that's crazy. And I'm glad that I landed on something. Like, I'm glad that I, uh, that it kind of worked out for me because I don't know how much longer I could have done that whole, like, and yes, I am doing this thing for free and it cost me $800 (laughs) and please come to watch it. And it is bad, but maybe one day I'll be good. And I'm in Indiana for an improv festival, you know? And like, I, I think I just would, I don't know. It's so much work. Yeah. It's so much harder to be unemployed and not talented. (laughs) It's so hard. (laughs) I have a much easier time now. Like people say like, oh, SNL is the hardest place to work. And I'm like, yeah, it's hard. But also it's not any harder than like doing five open mics in a day. Right. While like slowly becoming an alcoholic and spending all my time around people who I low-key hate. (laughs) That's harder. Yeah. Open mics, they're like the worst places. They're bad. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not even sure. I, mean, I, don't, I don't really do stand-up. I've, only, I've done stand-up like maybe five times. But I teched at uh, UCB, the Intersinctum in Los Angeles. Ooh. Um, and there was a stand-up open mic there yes. that I teched. And it was like awful. Because, you know, it's, if you've been in the Intersinctum, it's like the biggest space in the world. I there. It's, it's like it's a... Big. It's huge. And then, like, it's all just comics who are just waiting to go up. And there's, like, no laughs. And it's just, like, yeah, it's rough. It's like a holding cell at a police station. It really is. Yeah, it's a good comparison. It's a nice museum of the human experience. (laughs) I sound like I'm being very negative about it. Like, it clearly worked out, and I do love doing comedy. But also, it just... Also, I'm socially anxious, so it was just a lot of being around new people. And um, I don't know. It's hard to do stand up and bring yourself to the stage when you're surrounded by like scary people right. <laughs> who hate you or like who are doing a completely different kind of comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad that it worked out. <laughs> yeah. When you're coming up with uh, stand up bits, like, is it like a different process from like when you're doing sketch? Um, I guess so because stand up. I mean, not to sound like a total douchebag, but it is also a stand-up is a collaboration too because it's you're collaborating with the audience. Like they're your editor, basically. They're saying, we like this part, maybe lose that. Mm-hmm. Maybe start with this. Um, so in that way, and I write always with other people for the most part. So it's, it is sort of a back and forth, but I guess stand-up is more, you can be a little bit more self-indulgent because... Uh, or not self-indulgent, but like you don't have to, it's a little bit, it's more unilateral cause you're one person. So you can decide how you communicate, what you communicate. Um, it's a little bit of a hostage situation. You know, you're like, I want this thing and call the radio station because I want to <laughs> say my manifesto on the air. And, uh, now we're doing this and everyone look at that. And <laughs> it's kind of nice. Um, I think I'm okay at it. I don't think, I think there are people who are better. Uh, and, uh, but I think I basically know how to do the thing that I do currently decently well. (laughs) I still sort of don't know what my voice is. Um, and my sets are still sort of up in the air. Like I don't have like a, there are certain jokes that are mostly the same, but I still sort of feel like, what is my set? Um, 
I don't know. But then other people are like, no, it's very clear who you are. <laughs> like you have a very distinctive niche voice. I'm like, oh, that's good to know. How do you uh, balance like doing SNL and then also doing uh, stand up? I sort of don't. Yeah. I kind of do SNL during SNL weeks and then on breaks while I'm like coming out of my little groundhog hole. I'll in between like dentist appointments, I'll <laughs> do shows and stuff. Um, and then over the summer, I'll do like a, sometimes. Again, I need a lot of laying around <laughs> to recharge. Otherwise, I'll I'll simply perish. Um, <laughs> uh, and you you were for Cracked. Yes. How did that start? Very brief brief stint at the old Cracked. Yeah. Um, I was poached from Reductress. I was poached. Um, no, they they wanted to hire another editor, and I had a friend who worked there who recommended me. Or suggested me to the people who were hiring and they, yeah, and they, I didn't think I'd ever leave Reductress, but it was sort of like I'd gotten to a point with them where it was like, well, either I behead Beth and Sarah and become in charge of it, or I just stay where I am. Like, there there was nowhere else for me to go with it. And I think also, like, they, it's, for any kind of, like, small company, they need excited, not tired people who are excited to be there. And I... I love Reductress with all my heart, but it was definitely getting to the point of like, I've been, it was sort of like George Bailey. Like, yeah, I love Bedford Falls, but like, I want to go somewhere else. <laughs> like, um, Cause it's not my company. I was their right. first hire, but like, it was sort of like a, um, it was time for me to mm-hmm. move on. And it was a good thing that I moved on because then they had this pattern of bringing other people up and, uh, yeah, getting to have other people's input mm-hmm. on the site. Um, but yeah, so basically I went over to Cracked and was working from home because they're based in LA, um, which is, if you're at all mentally ill and have trouble getting out of bed, I don't suggest working from home. Right. <laughs> Ooh, it's, I went absolutely crazy, um, but it was good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was cool. I like edited articles and then got to write my own column where they gave me truly no limits and were like, <laughs> write whatever you want. And I sure did. When you, um, start like doing comedy and then you're given like, like, like as, as an editor, a lot of your job is like editing. It was like actually editing articles. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> is that like a weird thing to like have when you just kind of want to do comedy? Um, I... I sort of don't just want to do comedy. Like I'm someone who's always happiest when I'm doing a million things. I think cause I'm like, uh, easily bored and dissatisfied with things. So if I'm doing a bunch of stuff, it kind of prevents that. But I really like editing. I like having a thing already there. Um, and then seeing what it is and being able to build off of it. Like I like pitching on other people's ideas a lot. I like being in other people's writing rooms a lot. Um, Sort of that's how you kind of get to do comedy and write and be funny and fun without the terror of a blank page. Like you can just you don't have to go through the process of like, oh, I have to start this. It's like, no, it's already there. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think could help? What are like the hallmarks to you of like a good cracked list? Oh, I mean, I was only there for like five months. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it was I was a sort of a an odd duck for their usual fare um but yeah I don't know I was editing like 
history articles and other stuff that wasn't quite, and they were good about being like, edit stuff that you relate to or that you know about. But then it was like, if there's 20 articles and 10 of them are about superhero stuff and five are about like sports slash history and four are about like movies that I haven't seen. And one is about, is like a personal narrative, but it's being edited by the person who interviewed the person. And it's like, I guess I got to write a history or I don't know. And then I also had to do fact checking for it. So it was like checking their sources. And so it was, that was more of a jobby job that, that side of it felt kind of like, wait, what is this? (laughs) But they were so, it really, I think a lot of a job is who you work with. And I really liked it because I really liked the people I worked for and worked with like Jack O'Brien was the person who hired me. And he was so like maybe the best boss I've ever had because he was so like, don't write our voice. We hired you because we like your voice. You write what you feel like writing. And because we want the site to sound more like you or like, we want what you have. Don't try to do what we're doing, which like blew my mind. I was like, a, that's a huge compliment. B, like, I didn't know that that was possible with a job. Like, I'd never been recruited before. I never made a real salary and had benefits. Like, I had to take a seminar on, like, our benefits package. And I had to take an online sexual harassment course where I clicked a little, like, traffic light, red, green, or yellow. <laughs> yeah, which I failed. I think because I did red for all of them. I was like, men should never talk to women. <laughs> but, yeah. I've been really rattling on. I forget what no. your question was. No, that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, so before Cracked, you were at Reductress. Yes. How did you get involved with, with, with Reductress? Basically, the story is I saw it when it launched and was immediately furious that I didn't think of it <laughs> and was like sitting in my little cave, like wringing my hands and grumbling under my breath and waiting for them to fail. And then my friend Josh Goleman was like, Hey, or you could write for them. (laughs) It's like, curse the day, curse you. It's like, or you could like get involved. I was like, oh yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Instead of just silently wishing for them to fail. Um, Because I was like, that's so perfect. That's so funny. Um, Yeah, he knew Beth and Sarah. I think they met at some like networking event. Um, And then I started writing for them. This was super early on. And then uh, we would meet up at like... Whole Foods in the upstairs uh, cafe. Oh, like in Union Square? Yeah, yeah. Or like people's houses and like talk about this is a thing that we could do a thing about. Um, I'm just adjusting this mic stand. It's traveling. (laughs) It's totally fine. It's my fault. Um, For the record, it's not her fault. It's because I'm too dumb. That's why it does that. (laughs) And I'm stupid. Uh, But yeah, it was like very ragtag bootstrappy um and then they got a book deal and then we're also producing live shows so they brought me on to be sort of a associate editor writer produce their live shows and then help them write this book um which was great that's one of my favorite jobs probably it was such a formative important experience and like beth and sarah beth newell sarah papillardo are the grand grand doms of reductress um and yeah i learned so much there and i got to do so many fun things how how would you come up with uh, your headlines for that job um it was 
uh, I w- it would be like we'd hear about something and either talk about it as a group, like a topic or like what's funny about this or figure out how to tackle it. That was for like topical stuff. Um, or like just things that happen throughout the day. Cause there's so much media messaging to women everywhere, just ambiently. It's like Wi-Fi, like it's just sort of moving through you at all times. Um, so it wasn't, it was like, there's a lot of things being shoved at you at all the time. So it's kind of easy to brainstorm. Um, but then if I was feeling kind of dry, I would look at glamour.com or like allure. I'd go on Cosmo, like any women's magazine website that had topical things and sort of like the catch all women's mag, like, um, beauty and fashion and relationships and career and topical things. And then kind of work off of that. What, what like, uh, makes a good headline to you? That's such a good question. Um, I think, um, I think if it's really funny and smart and good, if it's really good, then that's good. (laughs) Um, I think like under 10 words, uh, and it communicates a clear idea, um, that's original and makes a like a fresh observation while also being it has to be relatable enough so it doesn't sound like complete nonsense but it also has to be original enough that you're not like okay great lose 20 pounds by cutting off an arm like I pitched that like hundreds of people I read that headline in hundreds of different iterations like that's it's funny but it's not original because everyone it's a little first thought as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it has to be clear enough that you know what the person's talking about without being like talking for 25 words, um, which is really hard to do. Um, clear, but also original and yeah, just unexpected and fresh and weird. And, um, you talked about this earlier, but when you have like the headline ready, is that when you start doing like the, the words, the buzzwords type thing? Uh, kinda, yeah. Or I'll like, I'll sometimes look up, I would look up articles. I haven't written a reductress article in years, but I would like look up, um, if there's like a similar article that it's based on like five spring skirts or whatever. Um, that actually would be a pretty funny reductress article. (laughs) (laughs) This skirt could be for March, April, or May. You decide. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But other time, throw in fire. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I would like pull up a, a real like Cosmo or Allure article about skirts and then see if there's like a structure. Um, yeah, usually it was like five ish paragraphs that had a little heading that was like brown skirt with flower and then price and like where it's from. And I would like maybe start there and like describing each one, like if there's a different weird observation or something like kind of getting the five different um paragraphs working on those and then an intro and a conclusion Mm -hmm. so i don't know just kind of bouncing around like whichever one i feel like i have ideas for Mm -hmm. um but it was nice to have such a, a site with such a strong structure and voice um to work off of eventually because at the beginning it was really nebulous like we were trying all sorts of different things um but by the time I was editing regularly, it was nice to have it be like, oh, I know what this is. 
And even if something is new, like we get what kind of new we need and like where it can live right. within the site. What what was like when did it start to change, you think, into like the consistent tone? Um I guess we got a um co working space summer of twenty fifteen, I guess. Or no. Summer twenty fourteen. Wow. Yeah, no, that's when that was. Um and I was only there two days a week. I think they were there three or four. Um, and I think that's when it was like, oh, we're going into work. Okay, so we can just focus on this. It's not like, oh, we're being kicked out of this cafe because they're closing. Or like, we're all just meeting up, so it's like kind of fine if we don't really buckle down. Like, It was more like, I guess, because from Beth and Sarah's perspective, they were like, we're laying out money for rent, so we should... It just... Not like we should buckle down, but like it's natural that you then take it more seriously and take it like a job. Um, yeah, I guess around then. Mm -hmm. And then definitely by the time, like as we were writing the book, I think it really was that extra layer of solidifying. Cause it was like, okay, we're going to make a, a physical consumer product. So like we had to really figure out what it was for the book. And then I think that kind of bounced off the site too. Although at that point, I don't know. It's hard to remember. <laughs> I was in a blackout for a lot of it, not to brag, but, um, <laughs> oh, it's fun. Being in your twenties is fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, how did the, the process of like starting the book happen? Uh, the reductress book. Yeah. yeah. They, I don't know. They, they were, Beth and Sarah were shopping it around with an agent. Um, mm -hmm. and then they also had a, an outline by the time I came on. So, uh, what, like, what was your, uh, kind of role, uh, during that time? Um, well, we, I think they had a general outline of like what the book would be. And then they also had a, the introductory pages and explainy parts written out. So we had stuff and then also like portions from throughout the book. Cause a book proposal will be like a, um, it'll, sh it'll be mostly an outline, but also a lot of throughout it there'll be like okay and these five beat 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 and also here's what this beat would be in its entirety so they had like that much written so it was going in then and ideating off of like okay so we want to do something about bad charities and then we'd brainstorm different ones um one of the ones that i wrote was pink goats international which uh <laughs> would take a regular goat from uh, an indigenous person somewhere in the world and then give them a pink one <laughs> for breast cancer, I think. And also for like women's small business. Right. Um, and also like to have a, a goat. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Beth wrote one that was like for every pair of shoes you buy, we give one shoe to a baby somewhere in the world. <laughs> And it was a picture of her son, Bryn, as a oh. an infant in a diaper holding a high-heeled shoe. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so we'd, like, brainstorm different sections, and then we'd assign each to ourselves and go through and write a first draft. And then we'd all go into each other's drafts and edit. And then we had a manuscript and did a series of edits on the manuscript. And then there was a lot of – they were very involved with the design and layout of the book and the look of it and hiring – illustrators and graphic designers like people to make logos people like we have um like saint invocations at the beginning of each chapter where we have a different 
it's like Beyonce and Lena Dunham and basically for like pop feminism was is what the book is kind of lampooning um so we hired someone to who did like beautiful like iconography looking stuff and that if we needed a logo for something we hired someone to make a logo and yeah it was really involved we had photo shoots it was a full deal and, and and during this time, you guys are also keeping up with the website. How do you balance that workload? It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know how we did it. It was, I don't know how Sarah and Beth, Sarah was like five different departments where it was like designing, like she did all the web savvy stuff, like back end sort of. Oh God, I don't know. Uh, I don't know words, but if if you could imagine me saying things about websites, then you can just close your eyes and picture that. And that's what I just said. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then we were producing live shows, and we had um, we were pitching TV and web projects, and writing sponsored co- content posts, and getting hired to write on other sites and merch and like touring and it was absolutely crazy and then even after I left there was even more stuff to do because they um yeah there were just like all these projects and then I think people like Nicole Silverberg and other people would like just kind of write the entire site for several weeks at a time and like <laughs> edit everything and write everything and answer every email and train interns and wow yeah yeah, that's the kind of thing where it's like, God, that is harder than my job right now. <laughs> I guess it's less pressure because it's, I don't know. There's not yeah. like millionaires who depend on you, but like, right. <laughs> uh, it's harder. It's harder to hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite reductor article that you wrote? <sighs> Man, there's so many really good ones. Um I really, I loved, I made uh, this character who was like a content algorithm named Stacy Bot, <laughs> um, where it's, they just like have this computer program that writes women's media. Um, so she like kind of gets it. So it sounds sort of like a um, spam email yeah. language where it's almost a sentence. <laughs> um, I really like writing nonsense for people who don't know how to talk. I wish I could write that for everything that I write. Um, have you have you heard of Botnik, the the robot thing that they're no. doing? It's uh, like a guy from Clickhole created this like um, keyboard where if you feed in like source material, it gives you like the predictive text, and you can kind <laughs> of write it. Then you also write stuff, and that gives you different text. It's oh cool. Check it out. It's very funny. That's so fun. Yeah, that is like the boy version of what we do, where yeah, it's like actual of. AI and like algorithms instead. <laughs> Pretend. Um, yeah, I like that. The last thing that I wrote while an active employer for Ductress, uh, I was very drunk on an entire bottle of white wine, and it was uh, eight good tree, and it was just pictures of a good tree. some trees, but uh, telephone poles, and <laughs> I think one was a cactus, like a clothesline. Yeah, and it, the captions were just like, wow, good place to nap. <laughs> I don't know. Do, do, you, do you write drunk a lot? Not anymore, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm retired. Uh, <laughs> no, that was definitely part of the process for a while. Yeah. Um, you also wrote a different book called How May We Hate You. Yeah. How did that, how did that happen? 
I worked as a concierge at a hotel for my day job after school ended. And then me and Todd Briscoe started a blog about it. And I knew him from NYU. And we also worked for the same place. And then we, uh, as was the custom in 2013, if you had a blog that more than 20 people looked at, (laughs) you instantly got a book deal. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we developed it with a literary agent and then shopped it around and two people had a really is it a bidding war when two people are like here's one offer (laughs) (laughs) there was a bidding war and um (laughs) yeah we got really lucky with our editor and um all the design people that we had it looks beautiful Mm -hmm. it looks smarter than it is um and we had branson reese who's a really great illustrator do the drawings for it which are so great and mindy tucker was the was those sort of um, Annie Leibovitz of dirtbag comedy people in Brooklyn <laughs> took our pictures and they're gorgeous. Uh, yeah, we just got really lucky and books are hard. There's so much work, yeah. but I recommend it. How, how do you go like through the process of like adapting like, your Tumblr blog to a, uh, to a book? Um, we, we had help from our literary agent who was like, here's what I think it could be. Here's what me knowing about book people and what book people want. Here's what I think they will probably want to see. Um, Also, they were like, you need 85% new material for a book from a blog. So it was, there's some stuff that we took from the blog, but only like the, the hits, we like the free birds. Uh, We put them in the book and uh, yeah. And then it was a process between our editor, Emma Brody, who was wonderful um, uh, of like, adapting it like from form to form from blog to book like okay here's what it is in the blog what is it about that that's funny what is about that that works and it's connecting with people and if it were a book what kind of book would it be and there was um like I really loved America the book the daily show book I got that in high school and like absolutely warped my brain forever it's like this is the coolest best thing that ever existed um and so kind of like that, where it's a little bit of a fake textbook. And also it was, I guess it was similar to Reductress because it was uh, form-based. It was like satirizing a uh, guidebook to a city um, or like the kind of book you would have uh, on your desk in a hotel. Mm. So they kind of made it look like that. And they designed a logo for a fake hotel for a book that's used in the like, on the binding and like at the bottom of the page. It's very cool. We got very lucky. <laughs> Uh, how do you like run a successful blog? Pass. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it was success. I yeah. mean, like we weren't making money off the blog, and I think it was just this moment where like people were throwing books at any right. idiot with a tumbler. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if that would still happen now. Yeah, probably. I can't yeah. tell. And there's like no internet comedy writing job. They're all like just in the last year, they're like honeybees. They're dying off very quickly. Yeah. Um, because of Facebook, I guess. Uh, like, I don't know what I would tell someone. Like, maybe a year ago, I'd be like, get a job on the internet. Right. Um, or I listened to the Streeter episode to be like, oh, oh what cool. am I allowed to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it was funny. That was like maybe a year and a half ago. And he, he was talking about like, yeah, get a job writing for a comedy website. And like, I would have said the same thing at that point. And now I'm like, 
is there that? <laughs> like, where would you work? It wasn't a year and a half. It was November. That's how oh, much was this it, past November? That's how much. It's oh, okay. Changed. Well, then Streeter's an idiot. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, that's but, yeah. Truly, since November, that's when. Yeah, like I guess in January, February was when Funny or Die. Yeah. Downsized that quickly and cracked too. Went through the same thing and. Yeah, you saw it with like the hairpin and uh, the toast and. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. It's it's like online content in general is just kind of going away. It's turning into improv where it's like this will cost you money and won't make you money, but yeah. it's exposure and maybe it'll turn into something where you can make money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's still worth doing. And I think people consume just as much, if not more, hashtag content than ever before. It's just being filtered through Facebook, which like, A, they get the clicks and the money from your content getting it for free and also you have to pay more to have them feature your posts more like the sponsored posts are the only way to get views so you're paying to give your stuff away for free right. which is like of course that's why things went away in the last like six months yeah. like they changed their algorithm and it completely changed how people have jobs in media online yeah, yeah. Crazy. yeah. but I guess like if you are going to have a blog uh yeah, just like getting clear on what the voice is and like playing yeah. around with it and um having like a consistent post schedule I think was important. Um yeah, there's all different sorts of apps like Hootsuite and different things. I again, right. like even in the last 3 months, I'm like I don't know if any of this is applicable anymore. Yeah. You know. I I, I mean, I guess I was never really a Tumblr person. Uh, but I guess people still use it, I think. They do. It's a lot of teens. Yeah. It's a lot of porns. Right. It's a lot of, I think it's very visual. They also, I think, changed their layout. So it's, it, it, uh, prefers or is better for like pictures and visual things, um, than it is for writing. Mm -hmm. Although whenever I have a question about anything, I Google it and I usually will find a a Tumblr site that's like, here's how to get a fecal sample from your dog for the vet. (laughs) I truly did last night. I was like, oh, you put poop in a bag and bring that to them. (laughs) Cool. Thank you, Tumblr. (laughs) Um, so now you work uh, on Saturday Night Live? Saturday Night Live? Hell yeah, that's how you say Saturday Night Live. From New York, it's Saturday. Yes. That'd be so funny if someone like totally messed that up one time. Oh, girl. That would be fun. <laughs> um, how'd you get that job? Um, I was, uh, it was through Chris Kelly. He um, knew of me through Reductress and vaguely UCB slash Twitter, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he had me send in a packet and then I still had to like do the whole like interview process, but it was it was cool knowing that like, oh, someone saw your work that you like doing that feels like you and that they want you to do that mm-hmm. somewhere that you like. I don't know. I I was asked a couple of years ago by some, I think it was Grantland was like asking like up and coming young comedians, what do you think of SNL? Are you a not ready for primetime player wannabe? What do you think? <laughs> and it was, I was, I wrote in it that I would love to work there, but it would be like saying you want to be an astronaut or a princess because like who actually gets to be those things. Right. It was like, it was very wild to be there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when you like, 
working on a packet for like a job like SNL and like um, you're trying to think of, you know, what would work for the show. Like how, what's your process of writing a packet for that? Um, I, I had sketches that I had done for different sketch groups that I then went in and did pretty heavy rewrites on. And then I think I wrote two entirely new ideas that I hadn't even tried to write before. Um, two or three. Yeah. I think like, uh, I recommend not being super fucked up. I think that's helpful. Uh, I think that's what made a big difference. (laughs) It was like the first packet I wrote, not fucked up. Uh, so (laughs) if you're that most of the time, maybe try not doing that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think showing a range and like show stuff that's, I think it's important to be able to like be a team player and like play ball and other sports analogies, like do the thing that's the thing, but then show that you have your own voice and something that's like a step away from the thing. Um, yeah, I think any kind of packet or submission you want to show yourself and you want to show that you're aware of what it is that you're submitting to and that you're familiar with it. Um, cause that's just a respect thing too. Cause like, I would look at submissions for reductress and it was clear when somebody read the site, but was also a goof who did their own thing. And then it was clear when someone was like a journalist or someone else who wanted to like get bylines or didn't really read the site at all. Um, so yeah, like be familiar with your, your source material, but also like a little bit of a departure. Right. What was that uh, first year like on the show? I was kind of in a dissociative state all the time. Yeah. Like I just couldn't believe that I was there. Um, Like, yeah, it was, uh, being around the most talented, funny, great people all the time and getting to work. And like, also I feel like a lot of the comedy jobs, like any kind of internet comedy job, uh, or like working the front desk at UCB or whatever, like there's so much about your job that isn't comedy where it's like, yeah, I worked at Reductress, but also I'd have to like set up the social media and like train interns and like um coordinate package receiving with the front and like there's so much that wasn't that and it's really nice to have a job that's your job yeah (laughs) um which I think is kind of true in any industry you know like if you want to be a vet you know I don't know pass (laughs) (laughs) yeah you gotta like I don't know I went to the vet this morning and there was a new person at the front desk and I was like, Oh, you're here cause you love animals, but you also have to figure out like the rebate program for the yeah, like true. flea and tick medication. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> that has nothing to do with the thing, but then eventually you get to, you know, I don't know. You have to do the animals. I'm so smart and cool. You do have to do the animals. You do. That's part of it. That's what everyone wants. Uh, so did you quickly like find like a writing partner? I wrote a lot with Sudi Green, mm-hmm. who's a criminal who must be stopped. Um, <laughs> she's wonderful. Very funny gal. Um, yeah, I wrote a lot with Kate and 80 and Alex Moffat and anyone who'll say my words. Um, <laughs> is it yeah. different writing with another writer versus writing with a performer? Um, it's all, I mean, the performers are so great at, they're like, I don't want to, yeah, it just, it's, it's all, there's all uh collaboration and everyone's excited to, <laughs> I feel like I'm like afraid to say a company secret. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're all in the Illuminati. Uh, no, it's great. All the cast are like better writers than the writers are, which is, uh, 
is backwards. Um, and then they also can't eat bread, I guess. So they're, 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 they're the true heroes. Um, yeah, I guess with writers, you can kind of spend like 10 hours beating something out and making like grand philosophical questions to the ceiling. Whereas right. with cast, it's like, well, we're actually on a schedule. <laughs> like, you kind of have to mm-hmm. get to it. Um, yeah, because there's they have like other stuff that they got to do. Um, no, it's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you generally write with performers in mind, or just kind of like this is the idea? I think it's funny, and I want to write this. I think I'm a pretty premisey writer, I'm pretty heady. So sometimes it'll be like, ah, uh, yes, you are my pawns, and I'm putting you in my great idea. But yeah, and then there are the character things that I write with cast people that are very specifically for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even those, even my characters are very premisey. Uh, how do you deal with like the crazy schedule? I guess you were talking earlier, you kind of like it, it kind of helps you. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, um, it's nice to make a decision. I feel like it's very hard to make a final decision for me and for a lot of people. Um, yeah, I think there's this temptation to kind of stay in the development process, especially cause I came from. I came from uh, experimental theater background where you can really spend six months and pour so much money into a rehearsal space to figure out what it is that you want to say about my space, you know, <laughs> like, um, so it's nice to work somewhere that's like, no, we need a TV show. Why don't you go ahead and write it? And then we'll put it on, <laughs> on cue cards. Well, what's it like? Like when you come up with a sketch and then you, you see like a huge set built in like all these costumes. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It is so crazy like four years ago I was buying my own pineapples for sketch that like looked like trash for someone who was like wearing a button-down shirt that's supposed to be a tuxedo and like (laughs) and now it's like okay well what kind of lizard do you want for this lizard sketch like oh my god uh it's so specific yeah like we're flying an animatronic dolphin from California for your sketch about a dolphin (laughs) like it's wow. really nuts. Yeah, and everything there, the every single person who works in that building is incredible at what they do, except for us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. We're great. Give us an Emmy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's really overwhelming and kind of, this is so dumb, but I uh, there's a video that SNL put on Instagram that's a quick change uh, from the last show uh, the Bill Hader monologue into the first sketch and it's six wardrobe and wig and makeup people. And I watched it like three times and then just started sobbing and I didn't really know why. And I think it's cause I was very tired, but also like, I was like, they're so talented and they're so capable and no one is better at their job than they are. And like, those are six people who are visible, but then there's this giant department that you don't see. That's like just the most skilled I don't, it's very moving. It's very moving to like have your dumb ideas be that I'm just one part of it. And that right. it then gets handed off to these unbelievably capable, wonderful people. I'm not going to cry again. Why am I crying? I am, again, I am mentally ill. My brain doesn't work the way the brains should. And that's part of it. But also like, it's incredible. No, I mean, there's like to have a live show every week is like insane, and you have to have like a bunch of people doing exceptional work. It's really, it's wild. Yeah, they're very, very capable, good people. <laughs> uh, 
for each week, like the first meeting, how many like sketch pitches do you have like ready to go? Um, I I try to come into a week with like it's like any other project where you're like I want to have eighty percent more ideas than I will end up making, or like I try to have like five ish at least, and then I'll toss them around with friends, uh, and then kind of narrow it down. I think most people write like two or three a week who are like newer people. And then if you're important and good at what you do, you write more. <laughs> um, yeah. So the table reads where the sketches get picked. It's true. Uh, it's where they get read. And then after they pick. Right. And do, do you yeah. write your sketches specifically for the read? Um, I try to keep it pretty in the dialogue, you know? to make it clear what it is without having to explain too much. Um, Yeah, I think keeping that in mind is important. But also I think it's the kind of thing that, like, any project you work on, you kind of want to keep it in the dialogue. Right. Um, Yeah, I was reading this screenplay, and the stage directions were like, she looks out the window. She thinks about rubbing her eyes. She decides not to. Something she doesn't know is that when she was seven, she remembered a bird. And it's like... (laughs) Oh, this is better than what I have because I don't I haven't written a screenplay yet, but also like maybe maybe have that in a scene, you know. Right. That is a weird thing. People that, that is like a I mean even like good screenwriters, which I guess they can do that, but they write like all this stuff in stage, which is strange. Yeah, I think that is like a screen like a feature thing as yeah. opposed to TV. I guess like I know, I think I read like a, a Paul Thomas Anderson script and he did a lot of that. Oh, he allowed. But yeah, he, that's, he, he yeah. directs it, so I guess it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, in what ways do you think like sketches doing sketches different uh, for television rather than stage? That's a good question. Um, I guess for television, it's you got to kind of keep an eye on, even if it's like a niche, weird like end of the show kind of sketch like you still have to go into it with an understanding that it's going to be seen by everybody like your aunts and uncles and it's for a very wide audience so it's um keeping that in your mind all the time because it's not just for your buddies it's not for your buddies in a Williamsburg bar (laughs) you know (laughs) like um it's uh yeah for a wider audience um I think live sketches because there's also I don't know I think like doing something at UCB versus doing it on TV is like I think there's almost stuff you could do at a live show and I was never on mod or anything at UCB but like if you're going to do a live sketch that's like I think you could do stuff that's more unproducible live because then people will pretend more but if it's like (laughs) If you're putting it on TV or on the screen, it's like, no, you should probably make the dinosaur then, you know? Right. That's interesting. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. That was like a big thing. Like when I was in theater school and we'd be like smelling our own farts about how important theater is. (laughs) I I had some teacher who was like, well, theater is incredible because the audience will just imagine it. Whereas on screen, you have to actually make it, Mm -hmm. you know, unless it's War Horse, which is just... (laughs) Incredible. I didn't see... Did they have real horses in it? I didn't see it either. So Why not? I don't know. Didn't... Uh, Helen. I know. 
You didn't prepare for this interview at all. <laughs> yeah, I should have watched Steven Spielberg's War Horse. Yes. Oh, man. Ready Player One, right? Uh, yeah, it's a movie for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. Can, can be a movie I know all about for sure. Um, uh, do you like to write like the like the late sketches, like the late show sketches? Um, I I like writing weirder stuff for sure. Um, but also, yeah, I I like... I like being a goof. I'm not great at the like game show type. Right. I guess because I'm not actually very talented or good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm mostly full of shit. So I can <laughs> kind of do nonsense that doesn't help anyone. That's my preference. <laughs> do you ever write any of the political stuff? Um, Not really. I'll pitch on it. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's not true. I'll do like... Like, I've worked with Cecily on updates and Kate. Um, but, yeah. I, like, little bits here and there, not, like, the bigger important stuff. What's your uh, favorite sketch that you've had on the show? Um, I was very lucky my first week there. I wrote a sketch with Kate where she plays an elderly actress uh, from old Hollywood talking about like on a women's film panel right, about yeah. like Humphrey Bogart <laughs> using her for target practice or um, uh, the character is named Tibet Goldry. And I, yeah, that will always have a special place in my heart because it was, cause Kate is incredible in it. And also like, yeah, it was, a, it was a character that I had done at UCB and stuff, but like, then they were like, okay, well how old is she? And we'll make this like prosthetic neck for her. Yeah. And you know, it just will make this bespoke wig. It just was wild. Um, and yeah, that I really, I do guy who bought a boat with Alex Moffat. We write those for updates. Always makes me laugh a lot. I love making him be a bad person because he's the kindest, (laughs) most beautiful soul. (laughs) Like here, please play an obvious rapist. Um, (laughs) You good person. Um, and I got to do a music video called Welcome to Hell with Cecily, Kate, Adie, and Sudi, which was, uh, very cool and very fun and also looked beautiful. And everyone who worked on it is so talented. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start crying again. (laughs) Uh, what would you like to be doing next? Um, I would love to, you mean like outside of? SNL. Yeah, or, I guess. Or just in I don't general. know. I'm not good at knowing. Like, yeah. I'm not good at planning or knowing things. <laughs> but I, I really like doing punch up. Like, I, I like pitching jokes on other people's stuff. Um, so I, I, I just love to do that. I don't know. I, I am writing my own. I'm like trying to write another pilot. Um, wow, I just said another pilot, which is a huge lie because I've literally never written a pilot. Um, <laughs> What a crazy villain I am. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm like, I'm working on a feature idea, but honestly, I think a lot of stand-up and, um, I don't know. I have a dog, so it's hard to, it's hard to want to do things (laughs) (laughs) because she just satisfies my heart in every way <laughs> and it's hard to be hungry for stuff because she's perfect um yeah I think like 
just collaborating with people. It's all about who you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm open. I'm open to stuff. And also doing one audition every four months. That for me is about right. And also and never booking it. That for it's for me it's not about the booking. It's about doing a solid C plus audition. Yeah, doing a free performance. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. On my smartphone <laughs> that it looks like absolute trash and it's a bad angle and the sound is absolute is just trash. Um that that's for me. Uh all right, we're gonna wrap up. Uh, cool. with, with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea I have. Oh, God. It's so tender. It's so tender. Rip into me. I don't know. It's fine. No. <laughs> Go ahead. Everyone's favorite segment. Oh, my God. I love it. Um, okay. It's a, a dad. Good start. A dad. Hilarious. A dad whose only form of punishment for his kids is to make them smoke an entire pack of cigarettes. So it's like, <laughs> you got a D in chemistry, you have to smoke an entire pack of cigarettes. <laughs> That's really good. Cool. Okay. I love that. That's perfect. Plug and play. You know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, they have, they have coal miners lung. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Cause that maybe he like saw it on a TV show or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, His wife is like, you have Asperger's. I don't know. There's something wrong. Why is this the one hallmark of human behavior that you have? Right. That's perfect. Awesome. Cut and print. Cut and print. Uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, no, I, uh, I'm, I am myself, and I'm proud of that. I love it. <laughs> I want to plug myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes. Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow on Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week! And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.